is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 44 of season two. And today I wanted to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and something I am actually going through, and that is Cronin. I first wanted to talk about this when my beloved little dog, Kaki, well actually I share ownership with my son, but she lives in my house started to get really, really old. Um, We think she's somewhere between 17 and 18 years old. And she's like a hound dog beagle terrier mix. I don't know. She's got the big soft fluffy ears, but her tail points when she sees something. And you know, her body, yeah, she's getting, she's getting pretty old for a dog. And if that's what she really is, but she's amazing even though her skin is starting to wrinkle and she gets old woman issues, you know, those little polyps on her skin and one of her fingernails now grows too long and tries to go into the pad of her foot and she seems to have lost most of her hearing. Although none of that has stopped her from being one of the wisest animals we have here on the farm. She is the most kind. She is the most generous She is the one that never has an accident, (laughs) which is amazing. And she knows the boundaries of the land like no one else. But she also knows the sound of my voice when I'm sad or when I'm tired or when I'm going through something. And that took years for her to perfect. While she's not the best anymore of guarding us, you know, physically from any kind of danger, what she is good at now is giving love and comfort, and a safe place to nuzzle. I'm not looking forward to how this is going to end, but I'm so grateful for this time with her. We've lost other dogs that didn't get to go anywhere near this far, and we're the lucky ones to have her this long. And just thinking about that kind of got my juices flowing a little bit about some of the stuff I hear online about being a crone and the value in that. You know, especially us Westerners are just, we are so afraid of death. (laughs) We are so afraid of death. And we also kind of, I think, see it as this horrible, horrible time. And I will tell you, I'm not as old as I hope to be, but I'm old enough for my back to hurt. And I'm old enough for things to start going wrong. But there are some things going so right. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to be one, a crone or to be becoming one, which is what I think us crones continually do for the rest of our lives. It's a state of being. I think it's um, a very, uh, I don't know, malleable place in my own identity. It seems to be ever moving in me, not, you know, a final landing place to go. I don't really think there are any final landing places for any of us at any stage of our growth development or even past living. 
But like I usually do as a professor, I started digging around with the etymology of the word and I see a lot of contention out there about what this word might mean. And believe me, the scholars also argue about it quite a bit. And I highly urge y'all whenever you're doing research to not just go to uh, Wikipedia or somebody's blog page. I highly urge you to look at the etymology and do the research. There's a whole lot of contention out there that the word crone comes from the word crown, which I believe is um, an old Dutch variation. And there's not a lot of research to support that. I'm going to get to how none of this matters anyway. But there is something I found I would like to read. I've, I've looked through the etymology. Anybody can do that. But I found this really cool text on the issue by Dr. Mary Daly. And the text was uh, Gyne Ecology with a dash between it, a backslash, The Meta Ethics of Radical Feminism. And it was first published in 1978. And I'm going to do a little fair use here and just lightly discuss some of the things I think she hit dead on the nose. All right, y'all ready? Now, this is a direct quote from the work. Crohn's can be well suspicious of dictionaries which, enlisting possible etymologies for crone, suggest that it is derived from a term meaning carrion. The OED discusses this possibility, but also suggests that crone is probably from carone. Is that how you say it? Uh, it's the French version, and I'm Southern. It's C-A-R-O-G-N-E, which translates to a cantankerous or mischievous woman. Hmm. I resemble that one. (laughs) So I want to talk about that in a minute. This meaning seems somewhat appropriate. It is noteworthy that Merriam-Webster gives us the etymology of crony, which is C-R-O-N-Y, the Greek chronos, meaning long-lasting, which in turn is from chronos, meaning time. I kind of lean this way because it is the oldest trace we can get for the word in its natural form. And it has the most anthropological and linguistic research behind it. So, yeah, that's what I think the word comes from. But let me continue. It would seem eminently logical to think that crone is rooted in the word for long-lasting, for this is what crones are. She goes on to talk about some amazing things and thought processes that she has here. I think were intrinsic to that feminist movement at the time. So do check it out if you want to. And of course, other scholars have traced it to mean similar things that also have to do with being, I don't know, cantankerous or mischievous and often linked to the craft in some way or healing. How she's depicted, though, I think we all know. Very um, wrinkled and weathered and often especially in myth and fairy tale and film, terrifying, you know, usually out to steal a woman's youth, right? Like Snow White or ready to eat little children like Hansel and Gretel. And these are not necessarily at all what the word was supposed to mean. Although, like any faction of any group of people, there are wonderful crones and there are very scary crones. Although I think then we get into a little bit of a sticky situation where we're talking more about hags who were also misrepresented. (laughs) 
they're often more uh, monstrous in their depiction, sometimes not even wholly human. And while I do think these two terms cross over quite a bit, they're not altogether the same. There's a lot more etymology out there about the word hag that leans more into witchcraft and the relationship of the word to the word hedge, which had a lot of uh, Old Norse and Old High German connotations, which had to do with being a hedge rider. Um, specifically after witchcraft was pushed to the periphery and, you know, they were still called upon to do a lot of aid and help and healing in people's homes, but, you know, hid in the hedges. And there's a lot more to that. I'm not really going to go into that, but they seem to be quite similar here. I would even so much as suggest that the word hag has a lot more to do with magic oracle work, um, things of that prophetic nature, a diviner, and of course, therefore, has been depicted as much more terribly monstrous to us. I'm still not sure if I would completely join these two, because I do believe that if one denotes more of a witchcraft sort of feel to it throughout history, and the other is something that literally any woman could be. Uh, you know, there should be a little bit of a consideration for which word we're using. So I don't say I'm hagging. <laughs> Although that would be a badass t-shirt, am I right, witches? I'm sorry, I'm hagging today. But I do say I'm croning, which to me means I'm growing deeper into um, my craft and an understanding of myself as part of more than this particular plane. Although I don't know if somebody called me a hag, I'd fight them. I don't know. I know both of these terms have been used negatively. They are also being reclaimed. I'd like to see the word hag reclaimed. That would really make my heart very happy. I mean, if hag is related to the word haga, there could be some overlap with the word ha which is, you know, the base word for Hawthorne. And then we get into some really old pagan religions in Europe. So I don't know that I would fight either one. I think I can be a hedge writer. <laughs> I definitely have uh, some prophetic stuff going on in my life. But the croning to me almost feels like, um, I don't know, a more specifically natural turn of events than hag. I don't know. Y'all let me know. Do you think you could be both at the same time? Is one chosen and is one just something we become? I don't know. Because if the way we use crone sometimes is almost like a part of a journey we've gone through. Uh-huh. Usually after our cycles have stopped. I'm not really crazy about the fact that it hasn't been universally um, utilized by others not of our gender. There should be something to be said for them. So I've always kind of concerned myself with that, but I'm getting way off track. Y'all know ever since I went to school to get all of those degrees and uh, actually in philosophy with a focus in literature, I've been in love with words. And I always want to know the etymology of them but the etymology doesn't always give us that anthropologic echo of folk use. And I think that that matters just as much. That's where other meaning gets attached to a phrase. 
a term or a word. So just loving words like this, I like to reclaim them as many other people do whenever they've been bashed about. Okay, that's it. I'm totally getting a hack t-shirt. Moving on, I wanted to talk about something really particular about my croning, if you don't mind. You know, when I hear doctors, for instance, talk to me about my uh, current physical situation, (laughs) it seems to me that I'm considered um, a body that is at a current state of increasing loss, if you will. And I think a lot of people do look at older women, women who are croning or identify as crone, as having lost things as well as having gained them, but some kind of trade-off. You know, when we think about the whole Snow White thing, you know, that there's a trade-off of some sort. I just don't think that that's true. Speaking from a physician of a physical body that's gone through this, regardless of gender, I would say that I've gained. Nothing has been lost. I have memories of my face before wrinkles. There are pictures of my face before wrinkles. But that face is under these wrinkles. There have been things added onto me. No, there's all, you know, okay. You caught me. There's bone loss. It's true. There is bone loss. But then I'm only looking at myself like, what matters is my physical state. And I can't imagine as a witch any of us would think that way. It does hurt, honey. It does hurt. It hurts to look in the mirror and see the neck starting to slide and other things sliding too. It's painful. It is. It, it Because, you know, I don't know if it would be painful if the world wasn't the way it is. You know, when we put so much primacy on youth and beauty, and we have a certain standard and definition for youth and beauty, I just don't think it holds water. You know, other cultures do look at a crone and find that beauty. And I wanted to really dig into that today. When I was a little girl, the most beautiful woman in the world to me was my grandma. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, my mother had been a beauty queen. She'd just been gorgeous. She'd been homecoming queen and skin like butter. She was so beautiful. And everyone always noted her, her beauty. But my grandma, I was born in 66. I don't know how old that would have made her, but I know she wasn't that young. I grew up knowing her with those little dark bags under her eyes. They were, um, that I'm getting them. I'm getting them too. It's uh, part of our genetic heritage. I grew up knowing that. Her hair was more, I guess, softly salt and pepper, leaning a little bit more towards the brown than pepper. Her hands were already getting wrinkled. You know, that was the woman I met. I didn't meet the young, vibrant woman who ran away to San Francisco to uh, be wild and free so long ago. I didn't meet her. I met this woman. I met a crone. And while I had other beautiful faces around me, the one that I loved the most, the one that I would trace the wrinkles and the little crevices along her eyes with my finger, that one was the most beautiful to me. And I had forgotten that until yesterday. 
I had my grandbaby yesterday. She turns two in October, so she's really already there. And she, of course, is gorgeous. Just gorgeous. I forget what it's like to smell baby skin and, you know, those little rolls that happen around their knees. Oh my God, she's so cute. And yesterday while we were playing around with a phone, I was trying to get a selfie of the two of us, which is almost impossible because she's always reaching for the phone. And she turned to me because she looked at the picture and then turned right to me and pushed the camera back and took my face in her two hands and patted it and laughed and smiled. And she was looking at my eyebrows and my nose ring (laughs) and you know, the wrinkles on my forehead, and she was just touching it all and laughing. She was celebrating my face. It made me cry. It took me back in time. We are beautiful to our grandchildren. But there's something more. When she was patting me and looking at me, she looked me dead in the eyes, and her laughter was just pure joy. You know what I think? I think she could see the other me's. There's a lot of me's in here. I didn't lose them. They didn't die. They're in here. I only added things on. I think she can see the little girl. I think she can see the teenager. Ugh, I really probably ought to put a rating on that one. I think she can see the mother. I think she can see all of it. The problem is, is I think we forget to see all of us. If we would try to look at it like a gaining, doubling, tripling, becoming more and more and more, instead of losing more and more and more, I think it would matter to our croning. I think it would bring us more peace. They're not taking flowers from our crown every day. That children, they're putting more in. You know, the world is putting more in. I do feel a certain urgency. I do understand that time is growing shorter and time will continue to grow shorter. That's how time works. Good old Kronos. But that's almost like a gift. I wish I'd known time was slipping away the way it does when I was a kid. I wish I'd known it when I was in my 20s and my 30s. I don't think I truly realized how quickly it runs away until I hit 50 and until things started to shift. Then I got the message and it was a little bit too late on a few things. But that's a gift, isn't it? If I wish I'd had it when I was younger, then it's a gift now. I don't waste time anymore. I tell people if I love them. I write my stories down. I spend time with the people that matter the most. I know I'm running out, but the sense of urgency only pushes me harder to write my book, to do this podcast, to leave something good here. Somebody asked me once, what is the secret to life? (laughs) And my answer has always been and always will be to have a good death. Because, and I don't mean whether it be in pain or not in pain, what I mean is if I focus upon one day having a good death from a life that had left a lot of things that were good for other people or helpful or, I don't know, supportive in some way. If I made any kind of impact anywhere at all, ever, 
then my death is more, well, qualitative good. And as long as I focus on that being the case, you know, if I were to be lying in a bed and knowing I was going to pass, but having that peace of mind that I did something, something of value, I think that I would find that to be a good death. So on that note, I do have another letter. And after this, I'm probably going to take a break from letters for a few weeks. But I found one from April. And Miss Wendy, I hope you forgive me. I finally learned all the strange ways of Gmail and how it will make determinations against your will. So here it is, your letter. It's not so recent anymore, but I'm going to read it the way it sits. And it is important to my story about croning. We'll get there. Here we go. Hey, Seba. I recently discovered your podcast. It took me an episode or two to see if it was right for me. It didn't take long before you started hitting some truths about my life. I was born in the deep south in the mud and sticks of Mississippi. As a young child, I was moved out north to Virginia where I was teased about my thick accent. They call it bullying now. I stopped talking in public for a number of years. Oh, honey, I went through elocution lessons, and I can't even say the word correctly, to try to rip it out of my mouth. And about 10 years ago, I decided that was enough and let my voice relax, and I can't even do it anymore, hardly at all, unless I'm teaching And then suddenly that professorial thing will kind of clean my mouth up and I have to tense up to do it. Lord, I don't know how other people talk that tense. But Anyway, my mother somehow felt bad enough for me to allow me a kitten. She hated cats. I was six when I stood in a stranger's kitchen watching a litter of kittens running around. Then one finally came to me, a sweet little black boy. We became inseparable, and he put my life into meaning. I lost Charlie, finally, after 17 years. He saw me through some difficult times, went to college with me, where I studied veterinary technology, moved into a new home, and almost made it to my wedding. Somewhere in my early 20s, I found a book by Sylvia Brown. It made so much more sense to me than the traditional religion did, I quit church when I was eight or so. I began to understand that some of the things I felt and saw, well, not everyone could see and feel. She showed me that I was an empath and also that the strange things around me were my spirit guides and my loved ones that crossed over. The stack of pennies, the electronics that turned themselves on, not to mention that I could understand what animals wanted of me. Very handy in my profession. Girl, I bet it is. That's awesome. Early in my career, a client took her dog to a pet communicator. The dog was very ill and had been in my clinic for a few days. Mom took her home to spend some time and make the decision. The pet communicator told her that there was this very nice lady who sang to her every day at the clinic. Oh, my God. Well, that woman marched right in there with a bunch of flowers, asking, who around here sings to the animals? Everyone looked at me. Side note, I do not sing well, but I do sing out. Same witch, same. I never considered myself a witch until my nephew died a few years ago. I call myself spiritual. 
as the extended and disconnected family came together in this awful time, some of my words of comfort grabbed some attention. I was taken aside and told, Girl, I didn't know you were a witch. I politely denied it, but she was Wicca, saw me a bit more clearly than I could see myself, and sent me on a journey. It's been a few years of me working on myself, and what a wonderful journey. All the time, I was raising an amazing daughter. She grew up so scientific, research, prove it, etc. She refused my meek attempts at, well, Sylvia says. (laughs) I'm proud to say that she found her little witchy self in college. She discovered she could be super smart and prove things, but also that she loved astrology and now tarot. She's really quite talented now that she's opened herself up. I have tried to explain, and not well, to my daughter, how you make me feel like me. Damn, that took me by surprise. I don't like to read these letters too much before I go on to the podcast, and that one knocked me off my chair a little bit. All right, honey, anyway. We have some life things in common, some not-so-great things that I burdened my only child with. Your accent and the story of it makes me feel at home. I accidentally slip into a southern tongue when I'm talking to someone else with an accent. This week, I was sitting with an older lady in my exam room, going over her dog's medications and how to use them properly. Any questions for me? I asked. She said, where are you from? I stared at her for a hot second and smiled. Originally, from Mississippi, which made her smile too. And she said, yes, that's what I was hearing. I can only assume that since she had no accent, it was from binging your podcast. (laughs) There's got to be somebody doing this. And maybe she just knows somebody, but I would love it if she was actually, you know, listening to the podcast. So, Subba, thank you. Thank you for making me feel like me, for making me feel excited about my learning, for giving me the term death cleaning. Oh, I love that one, too, which I started about six months ago and didn't have the right words to explain it, for making Cronin more fun. Wendy. Wendy, I love this. And by the way, Wendy is uh, a she-her, and was one of the very few to give me the permission to say those kinds of things. You know, if you don't give me your pronouns, and you don't give me permission to read it on the air, I will assume it's just a letter to me. So, thank you for doing that, Wendy. I really just love everything about this email, honey, and I just wish you lived closer. So, by the way, I've never told this joke on the air, and I'm really embarrassed that I'm about to do it, but I can't seem to stop myself. So when this lady said, where are you from? I only know one joke, and here it is. A southern lady from Alabama got onto a plane. As she found her seat, she saw that there was a A northern woman sitting there, but she didn't know she was northern quite yet. As she arranged everything and started to sit down, the northern woman reached a hand out and said, Here, let me help. And the Alabama woman said, Oh my goodness, I love your accent. Where are you from? And the northern woman said, Well, I'm from places that we don't end sentences or questions in a preposition. And the southern woman said, oh, I'm sorry. Where are you from, bitch? (laughs) Sorry, I had to tell it. I love my northerners, y'all know I do. Don't take heart on that one. 
Oh, thank you for writing in, Wendy. I feel like I've got another friend out there. And I also just wanted to say, you know, Cronin ought to be fun. Damn it, we have waited all these years to finally get away with some mess, and we can do it a little bit better now, you know what I mean? I don't have the money to do it right now, but I will be doing it next year. I'm going to go get a full-sleeve tattoo. Well, not so much a sleeve, but I'm going to get a muscadine vine that starts up at my shoulder, wraps all the way down my arm, and lands in the middle of my hand. I cannot wait, y'all. I don't have a lot. I've got, let me count. One, two. I have four tattoos. And I didn't start getting any until I was 40, but I've had them a long-ass time. One of them was... um to commemorate my healing and rise from a very rough situation. I'll just stop there. And the other one is one I share with my daughter. And then the one on the back of my neck is where um, I lost my little Riley all those years ago. My husband and I have the same one. And then my coven tattoo is on my right thigh, and it's my favorite. And do you know why? Because I can see it. All the others, I have to get in a mirror to look at. Or, you know, well, these days, the one that's on my rib cage, I got to move something really large out of the way to check. <laughs> and I want something I can enjoy. When I was younger, I was told, you don't want any kind of tattoo that's going to show. Well, y'all, the jig is up. And I don't foresee running for mayor anytime soon. So I might as well get what I want. And if I have to go on heart medication later, I won't be able to. That's fun, though. That's fun being able to say, I don't care. I'm going to wear a full tattoo like that. And y'all just deal with it when I'm at the Kroger. These things are fun. I've got a friend in her 70s and um, just wonderful, wonderful human being. A witch like us. And as long as I've known her last, uh, I guess, five, six years, occasionally she'll just dye her hair purple. (laughs) I love that. I love that we can make these choices now. It's like having a second adolescence in a lot of ways, you know? All those rebellious finding your identity explosion moments that we had when we were younger, if we had them. I did. I was uh, pretty rebellious. We get to have them again. And that's only one of our prizes that we get for having these uh, backaches and body issues and I've got arthritis in my hands well damn it I deserve a tattoo and if I want to dye my hair blue I will if I want to start a new career I will some of my favorite students that I teach are older I had one that was um 80 (laughs) getting her degree for the very first time her graduate degree in teaching she told me that the thing that hurt her feelings the most were when people asked her what she thought she was going to do with that I knew exactly what she meant when she told me it was for me. Do I have to do something with it? And hell no, honey. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to change careers. You could start writing books or being an artist or helping people. You can do whatever you want. Don't want to help people? Run off into the middle of the woods and make a little cabin and just write spells and have black cats This is a celebratory time. We got this far. And, you know, we don't know when the party's over. So 
I think it should be fun. Damn it, it's so hard otherwise. If it's not fun, you're not doing it right. I also think it's really cool for us to own it. Now, I don't have any truck with anybody who wants to fight it a little bit. You know, for years I used, um, what's it called? Botox. And I don't rule out using it again. I don't rule it out. I'll do whatever I damn straight want to do. For years, I dyed my hair. I no longer do that because during the pandemic, I didn't get my hair dyed and forgot that no one had ever seen me like that and uh, put a picture up of holding my grandbaby and the secret was out and everybody found out that I'm salt and pepper with a big old white streak in the front. But if I wanted to dye it again, I'm gonna. It's my body. I'll do whatever the hell I want to with it. And that, bat children, is fun. <laughs> it really is. There's a certain joy, a certain, um, I don't know, celebratory madness to getting older. I don't feel that I've lost anything other than bone density and collagen. I don't think I've lost anything else. Because everything got built on top of me. I just kept growing and becoming something else on top of the other, you know, like getting new limbs, like a tree, but all the other things are still inside. They're not forgotten. They're not gone in any way. And I'm really excited to see how far I can go and who the hell I'm going to be. I think one of the coolest things about the way that I've come to understand being a crone and I suppose I would call myself a very young crone still, is this revelation that I've had that a lot of people think this is sort of the end of the road in your magical education, and now you just share. And while I do want to share everything I've learned from all these decades, over half a century being on this planet, I want to share that. I also think I would be doing a disservice to my grandchild or anyone that would look up to me ever, any kind of student, if I stopped learning, you know, I don't know how far I'm going to go with this, but I will say that I feel called to say something. I have a lot of friends my age who are cool and are working on growing and learning. And because I live in a certain location and know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends who have stopped. They're just trying to make it through. And I understand that. And there's no shame in that. Except there are things that are shameful that I've seen some of them do. For instance, um, recently, this whole thing about the color, the race of the Little Mermaid character. I don't want to go too far in it. I'm sure you understand where I stand on this. What a bunch of idiots. I'm seeing a lot of my, oh, this is a funny word to say, cronies. Let's <laughs> see what I did there. Right. Look, I also can make old woman jokes. Anyway, I'm seeing a lot of my cronies say, you know, they're bothered. They're bothered by the change. They're shocked and shaken. And if I ever say anything to them about, hey, we need to, we need to learn more, you know, not just about this, but also about, you know, our trans friends and children. And we need to understand a lot more about, well, everything, polyamory different lifestyles. We need to become more adept at navigating the world as it is today and try not to hurt anyone as we do. 
And what I'm getting is the same old damn sob story of I'm too old. This is not the way we did it in my day. I don't want to learn anything new. This is upsetting to me. Well, honey, you just closed the door on the rest of your life. I hope you enjoy knitting sweaters and watching the news. I mean, what do you think keeps us young? There was a lot. I'm cool. LOL. I'm being purposely awkward. I attempt to be somebody with an open mind. And I've had to learn a lot. I've had to ask my kids about their experiences, their friends, research, read, think, study on this stuff to make sure that I'm not holding on to an old habit or an old ideology that no longer holds water. I mean, y'all, half of this shit is only political because it has to be, because of the rest of y'all. Otherwise, it wouldn't have to be. It would just be common sense and decency. But the other thing I hear is that our way of life is being threatened. Mm. And what I say to my cronies is, uh, damn straight, girl, it is. Mm-hmm. You're right, brother. It is. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's bullshit. <laughs> it's because you hurt other people. It's because that ideology or that institution has ravaged people's hearts, souls, lives, bodies. And it's being threatened. And you don't really need it anymore. Not to stay safe. Not to be okay in this world. So, yeah. It is. You aren't. But it is. My best uh, response to anybody at this point is to say, Hey, the boat you're in is sinking. We got some really cool spiffy ones over here that are really good at navigating these waters. You want to dip your toe in one? And let's try it out. And let's try to be a little bit more cool. Because we aren't too old to learn new tricks. That's bullshit. We're at an age where we could take our experiences and our hopeful and supposed wisdom and evolve. Just evolve. My old khaki, who's almost 18 years old, wants to pee way over there in the back 40. And there are some new dogs over there that are dangerous and I don't want to go in over there. And it took me about a week, maybe a week and a half, to get her to understand that when Grandma takes you out and you go potty, old girl, you're going to do it in the front, next to the chicken cages. This is where you're safe. And that's where she goes. And that is an old dog. And I taught her a new trick. And some of y'all don't have the excuse anymore. I just continue to see this fear of the world changing. And it makes me think about my cronies Well, that means that maybe if you have this fear, maybe you're also afraid of the changes that are happening within you. Are you trying to keep yourself alive? Because that ain't going to happen. The best way for you to stay young in your heart, the best way for you to become this magnificent crone that you can become is to change, is to allow that The essential you and identity is in there, but we need to sharpen some edges here and we need to throw out some of the trash because, honey, some of y'all's houses are really full of crap and you can replace it. So when we're talking about Cronin, let me bring in that concept of death cleaning again that I did all those uh, episodes ago and maybe I need to do a new one. While you're throwing out all this junk, you don't want your kids or inheritors or I reckon the neighbor 
to have to clean up and deal with. Especially, by the way, if they're grieving and they don't need all your damn shit. Okay? I'm not talking about giving away grandma's Afghan. I'm not talking about giving away anything of real intrinsic value to your family and your memories. I'm talking about, did you really need 12 salt and pepper shakers from around the world? That kind of shit. And getting rid of it before you go. Giving it to somebody if you want to see the joy in their face. But death cleaning also, the best kind, I believe, the most complete would insist also on you doing something about the rest of the crap you're leaving behind. Some of your premises, some of the hurt you've caused, some of the words you've said, maybe even some of the shit you've taught your children need a little bit of an update. Uh Uh-huh. Because you're hoarding, honey. And that stuff, that stuff is going to mold and absolutely infect their futures. So a good death cleaning has to be more than just the material goods. It has to be the bullshit. And does that mean if you get rid of all that shit, you don't have a life anymore? Fuck no. What that means is that you have space now for new things, new experiences. You still keep your intrinsic self just better. Some of my death cleaning has meant that I have to sit down and speak with my children, grown, all of them, about my ideas and where I was wrong and uh, what I've learned so that I'm assuring that they're not doing something or feeling a certain kind of way about other people because mama said, and maybe somewhere in the back of their psyche and they can't even remember anymore, that's still there. I want to make sure I do a little bit of work on cleaning that out because I've left a lot of closets in their heads, y'all. And they're my closets. I need them to be emptied so they can have their own experiences. And then maybe even put a few good things I taught them back in, you know? Anyway, that's just an idea. But if you're getting older like me, have you considered your spiritual death cleaning? Give it a thought. I mean, while I suppose some of us are born saints and never do believe anything that is hurtful or causes destruction in this world, never inherited any of that, fought all of the ideologies of our families and just came out perfect like that, it is real rare. It is. So be sure you haven't, well, done that to your own. You know, when I started doing all this cleaning and changing and growing and becoming even more, and that's how I still see it, I made friends that I'd never had made before and I learned things sat down, tried to understand, and did research and just kept moving my feet until I got to where it was second nature for me to say, what are your pronouns? I want to respect them. What are they? Where it's second nature for me to say, oh, y'all are in a polyamorous situation. How lovely. What should I call your partners? Y'all, I'm working on 60 and I can do this kind of work. And it's not even work. It's just damn respect. But not doing it and refusing to do it. Now, y'all, my fellow older witches, it's not a good look. Okay? You might be an asshat. And I don't want you to be an asshat. Stop. Let's, let's try to get better. Okay? 
Be very careful. Like my grandma always said, if you pick something you just hate and you focus on that enough, it'll come into your family and live there. (laughs) So watch yourself. One of these days, you may have a grandchild that identifies with everything you abhor. And the worst part of that would be if you hadn't found it in your heart to love them. So anyway, spiritual death cleaning, croning. I'm sure these are topics that the youth are sitting here going, why the hell am I listening to this? Well, honey, don't you hope to get old? (laughs) You remember what I said. Remember what Mama Seba said. Never stop growing. Never stop learning. And if you get to the ripe old age, 80, hell, get a tattoo. All right. I do have one more thing I have to do real quick, and it's important to me. Let's hear a word from our sponsor. So here we go, witches. Registration is now open for So Moat That Con, That Witch Life Podcast's second virtual conference on living as a witch in today's world. Somo That Con is happening October 15th and 16th, and y'all, it's going to be phenomenal. Join from anywhere in the world for incredible workshops, a bunch of badass raffle prizes, rituals led by Kanani Soleil, Courtney Weber, and Hilary Whitmore, and more. They will have a live Q&A with Ruth Connell, aka Rowena, y'all, from the show Supernatural. Other presenters include listener favorites Heather Augusta, Taverly Anglin, Phoenix Coffin Williams, Russia Crean, Storm Berry Wolf, Lisa Jade, Cha Wan Koo, Orla Minxi Costello, Tomas Prower, Papa Hector Salva, and even Hillary and Courtney. If you can't join the event live, y'all, don't worry. Everything is going to be recorded and sent to all registrants after the event. Y'all run over and get your ticket for SoMote.com today at ThatWitchLife.com and hurry because prices are going to go up on September 26th. Be sure to grab your ticket today and support these witches because these virtual events are just critical in today's world. And I sure do appreciate the work they're doing. All right. Well, there is only one last thing and We had only one new patron for this last week, and her name is Lacey. Thank you, Lacey. It means a lot to me. I'm doing a special thing over there. I'm thinking about starting a different podcast. Don't worry, I'm not leaving here. This podcast would be just for children. And I don't want to tell you too much about it, mostly because I don't want it to get stolen. There's nothing out there like it. And I've recorded two little short little examples and getting feedback from my Patreon and uh, they're published over there. So that's another thing we're adding to the Patreon goodie box (laughs) or these. I'm only going to release them over there for as long as I can. I'm thinking I'll get up to about 13 episodes before I make it live and have its own name and, and what my have you. So thank you, Lacey, for supporting. And thank you to all my other Patreons that are making this podcast possible. And thank you to the listeners. Y'all mean a whole lot to me, too. Love y'all like chickens. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.